listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. This is the Fret Files podcast, the Guitar Repair podcast, or the Guitar Workshop podcast. I think that's more apt. The Guitar Workshop podcast. I actually work in a guitar workshop. Yes, indeed. My name's Eric Daw. I've been a uh, a guitar repair guy for, oh, at least 20 years. I don't even want to stop and count. But you know all that. If you're a regular listener to the show... The only thing that you're wondering is why in the heck haven't I posted a show lately? And my apologies, I could go into uh, all the all the whys of of why I didn't do a show. I got sick for a while, and I had family emergencies. I had to take a uh, an emergency trip back home, which is Idaho for me. I live in Seattle right now, uh, but. Really, the reality of it is that, you know, it doesn't take that much time. I'm just a procrastinator when it comes to this podcast because I'm kind of technically, you know, computer-wise, not really that savvy. And so it takes me ten times as long to do this podcast as it probably should. But I'm getting better at it, and I just need to to put in the time and do it because I'm realizing that um, it's going to be worthwhile. And there are plenty of people that are listening to it and plenty of people telling me, that they miss the show, and so I appreciate that. Those of you that have told me on our Facebook page, the Fret Files Facebook page, or I've had a lot of nice emails and people stopping by the uh, the shop where I work there at Emerald City Guitars. I repair guitars there. Uh, a lot of people have stopped by and said, "Hey, why no podcast? Kimosabi, what's the problem?" So, um. I appreciate that, you know, I I really do, because for a while I thought, why am I knocking myself out doing this podcast if nobody's going to listen? And the reality is that people are listening, and people are enjoying the show, so I'm going to keep doing it. I think I announced on our Facebook page that I was considering uh, giving up on the project, but that is not the case. I'm going to continue doing the project, and, uh, and I'm happy about it. I think it's going to go well, and it's going to be better than ever. And one of the reasons that it's going to be better than ever is that uh, I actually had uh, Jason Verlindi over at the Fretboard Journal reach out to me and said he really enjoyed the show. And, uh, you know, I, I, you're familiar with the Fretboard Journal, aren't you? The uh, the guitar magazine. It's actually, it's way more than a magazine. I hate to even call it a magazine because it's... Such an unbelievably well done publication. It's like a it's like a book. I mean, if you've ever seen their magazine, it's it's actually uh, yeah, insulting to even call it a magazine because it's so well done, man. It's a huge, thick thing printed on some of the finest paper known to man, and uh, they're I think they call it um, keepsake quality is what they call their magazine. And uh, yeah, I'd say that. 
maybe even heirloom quality. I mean, it's amazing. So anyway, they also do a podcast. Jason Verlindi, the publisher over there, also does a podcast about guitars. And uh, I've always listened to that show before I even started doing this show. So I was really happy that he reached out to me about this podcast and uh, just wanted to do a little cross-pollination, you know? So he's going to actually promote this show a little bit. I think on his podcast, which I, you know, I know that he has a lot more listeners than I do, so that's great. And uh, here I am talking about his magazine and his uh, podcast on my podcast. So we're just doing a little cross-pollination. We both live in Seattle. We went and had lunch a week ago, and it was really great, man. I mean, we, um, I think that uh, he and I really have similar kind of similar tastes and similar uh, uh uh, a similar outlook on guitars, and uh, it's kind of a good fit. So we'll see. I don't know. I'm not saying that there's anything more than that happening at this point. I have no idea what's happening with it, actually. I'm just uh, telling you that if you don't already subscribe to the Fretboard Journal, that you you really should. It's only 40 bucks for a year, and it's a quarterly magazine. So um, it's 10 bucks an issue, which is, uh, I think it's down from their... 13 or 14, 15 bucks if you bought it individually in the bookstore. So, um, yeah, you should definitely check out the Fretboard Journal and their podcast and subscribe to their magazine if you haven't already. But you probably already do. You probably have. I don't know. I don't know how many people uh, that listen to my show already listen to his show, but I would gather, I would bet that most already do. Anyway. That's what's happening in my world. This is my lovely wife joining me here for the podcast. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Things are good. Yeah. We're sitting in front of a fire in our house. It's nice. Yeah, it's cozy. It is cozy. And this is how I need to do the podcast. You know, I always think like, okay, it's time to do the podcast. I have to, it's work. So I have to sit in some uncomfortable corner and, you know, be miserable for an hour while I uh, answer people's questions like I haven't done that for 10 hours today already. This is beautiful. Glass of wine. We're sitting in front of the fire. It's awesome. I'm hanging out with my wife. So this is the podcast, the the new mellow Fret Files podcast, <laughs> where I sit here in a bathrobe in front of the fire. So here you go. Anyway, <laughs> let's answer some questions. What do you got? All right. <clears throat> this first question comes to us from Greg. Hi, Eric. I stopped by and told you in person, but I'll say it again. I miss your podcast, and certainly it has to be worth it for you to do it again. Between the little man at home, that's that's our little that's boy. That's your little man. He just turned one yesterday. <laughs> And building your own guitars and everything else, I get it. Being a newbie, it was really cool to hear your input and insights. I learned a ton, and the repair aspect of the guitars is fascinating to me. Just wanted to let you know that it was appreciated. Even a quarterly podcast would be cool. I don't know if that I would have bought a telly or seen the Buddy Holly story if I hadn't listened to your podcast. I can't believe that Gary Busey was actually singing in all the songs in the movie. What a stud. I agree. I like Gary isn't, Busey. Isn't that a great movie? Yeah. 
And he seriously does such a good job. I know. And people think, okay, you hear Gary Busey's name and you think, that guy? Yeah. That guy's super insane. Crazy guy, yeah. That guy's been, like, huffing paint fumes or something. <laughs> and he probably has, but this is 70s Gary Busey. Yeah. You have to realize that he wasn't, oh, well, okay, maybe he was crazy back then, but he, I mean, he nails this movie. If you haven't seen the Buddy Holly story, it's probably my favorite movie. <laughs> you should check it out. Oh, my gosh. He nails it. Anyway. Anyway. Factually, it seems the movie wasn't completely on target. No, not at all. <laughs> Strangely, it seems they could have been 100% accurate and had the same quality. You know, let me say something about that. That's an, an interesting point. They could have, and I have thought about that, and I totally agree. The problem, I guess, uh, lies in the fact that they couldn't get some people's permission. Um, Norman Petty, I guess, wouldn't cooperate with the film people. And so Norman Norman Petty was was instrumental in Buddy Holly's career, in his recording. Uh, a lot of those songs were recorded in Norman Petty's um, studio in uh, Clovis, New Mexico. It's called Norvajack Studios. And they completely left New Mexico out of the whole movie. The, the movie, he's playing in a roller rink in Texas, and then he's uh, recording in New York. I mean, they completely left out the the New Mexico aspect of it, and and they and I think the whole reason that they did that, because um, it actually would, I mean, the real Buddy Holly story would actually have been a better movie, but uh, they couldn't get for some reason they couldn't get uh, Norman Petty to agree to anything. So that I think that's why. Hmm. Yeah. If you do continue with the podcast, I have the following question. Oh, good. What is the most interesting and or challenging repair that you've ever done, and how did it turn out? Hmm. Um, the most interesting or challenging repair that I've ever done. You know, there's two that come to mind, and the only reason that they come to mind is because um, there's pictures of them on my website. Because I've, I mean, I have to be honest, I, I don't, I really don't remember individual repairs unless they really stood out you know but those two repairs i really remember well because i took good pictures of them and then put them on my website there one was a headstock break on a vintage gibson where some fool put a bolt through the headstock to keep it all together and so i had to graft in a new little piece of mahogany over the over the bolt hole and um then fill the hole, you know, and 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 fill the hole from the top too, make it all blend in, and uh, it was kind of challenging, but it was a lot of fun. It wasn't by any means the most challenging. It was just an interesting repair in that somebody went down to the hardware store, got a a nut and a bolt, and bolted it together and uh, called it good. And I think it was bolted together for a long, long time because it looked like a pretty old rusty bolt. But um, I took the bolt out glued the headstock back together, filled the hole, touched it all up, you know, and it was a cherry finish, that, that red mahogany that Gibsons always have, and uh, matched up the paint perfectly. It just looked great. I was real happy with that. So that's one. If if you haven't seen the pictures, I think they're on the Fret Files Facebook page, aren't they? Oh, they might be. They're on my website. If you go to oh. ericdaw.com, that's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com, these are the two repairs that are on my website that I have pictures of, and that's why they came to mind. Of course, I don't know how long I'll leave those pictures up, so if you're listening to this show in 
in the year 2036, then sorry. <laughs> but uh, that one comes to mind, and the other one that comes to mind was a mid-50s Telecaster that somebody had just hollowed out like a canoe. I mean, they routed this thing way beyond the pit guard and the and the bridge and the control panel. I mean, it was hollowed out like a... It was a mess. It was a total nightmare. And it was it was all hollowed out by hand, right? Oh, Hammer yeah, and like chisel. A, yeah, right. Like maybe, maybe not even a chisel, probably like a flathead screwdriver <laughs> and a shoe. Just... Uh, it was awful. And um, then they put this... Oh, and of course they put a Bigsby on it. Yeah, so there's... Uh, but that was the least of the problems. They hollowed it all out and made this huge pit guard to cover everything up. And they had, I think, four or five pickups in it. There was a Strat pickup and a P90 and a humbucker and then the normal Telebridge pickup. And there was a switch for each pickup and a phase switch for each pickup. And I mean, it was this, this pit guard was a lot of real estate. It was huge. And... um you know, you take off the pit guard and you take off everything and it just, the picture of the body that's on my website is just unbelievable. It's just, it just looks like somebody just took a flathead screwdriver and started chiseling parts out of this vintage telly. And the prospect of squaring off all of that and filling it in and um, making it whole again and solid again just seemed like a too much of a daunting task, I decided that uh, an alternate route, and one that turned out really well, and I'm glad I did it, was um, rather than fill it all, I planed, or had, I had the guitar planed uh, so that the top, you know, I think it was a quarter inch, got planed off, and then put a new top on it, and then routed pickup holes, and it turned out really well. So basically, it was a very, very super light, chambered, hollow, you know, partially hollow vintage Telecaster that um, after I had, uh, I had USA Custom Guitars playing the top and put the veneer on it, uh, just because they're equipped to do it easily and quickly and um, didn't charge me much to do it. And so then I went back and, uh, you know, I took a router and... And fixed all the edges and um, just very carefully, you know, made everything blend in just right and uh, routed pickup uh, cavity, control cavity and everything. Everything lined up right. The neck po- neck pocket, everything made everything line up right. And then, um, you know, pore filler, finish. It was beautiful. It turned out beautiful. Beautiful blonde mid-50s Telecaster that had been through hell. And back. And uh, I don't know if that was the most difficult repair I've ever done, but I think it was the biggest price tag on a repair I've ever done, and it was um, definitely one of the most interesting. So there's two examples for you. Very cool. All right, this next one comes from Scott. Scott says, Hi, Eric. At Emerald City, we recently discussed the prospect of installing a push-pull pot and doing a reverse-phase humbucker wiring to get the out-of-phase two-pickup sound in my Les Paul. I wasn't aware that I needed a four-conductor pickup, that I need four-conductor pickups in order to make that work. 
I don't think there's any point in me swapping out my two conductor 57 classic pickups for four just for that modification. Rather, I don't know if I'd rather if I want to go through the hassle of selling my two conductors and then buying a set of four conductors. One thing I wanted to ask, and forgive my ignorance in with regards to electronics, but is there any way to rewire my current pickups to be four conductors? Um, yeah. There is. There is, but it's it's not very practical to do that. Um, so what he's talking about here is he's got two humbucker pickups. He wants to be able to run them out of phase when both pickups are on. So one is out of phase with the other. And then when you do that, you get a real thin nasal sound that's really cool. Uh, you probably know about it. But um, in order to do that, you've got at least one of the pickups has to have four conductor wiring. A standard humbucker just has two conductor, you know, a, a ground and a and a hot lead. <clears throat> so, in order to reverse the phase, you have to have four conductor uh, cable going from the pickup to the electronics. And um, you can you can take apart a pickup and you can rewire it so that it has four conductor wire. Uh, but if it's just a just a name brand modern no big deal Gibson pickup or whatever Seymour Duncan or whatever, it's just as cheap just to buy a new pickup. So. The other way to do it is uh, to flip the magnet, and that's not as big of a deal to do, um, but the problem with that is you can't turn it on and off with a switch. It's either in phase or it's out of phase. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that answers that. All right. <clears throat> this next one is from Zach. Eric, here are a couple of questions for your next show, perhaps more of a clarification on some things you brought up in previous episodes. First one is, you once brought up a new Telecaster neck pickup that was supposed to be better sounding than the original Tele neck design. Was that the Analog Man Big T? If so, has anyone tried it? What are your thoughts on this and on humbuckers in the neck position on a Telecaster? Other than they don't look correct, of course. Keith Richards seems to like them. <clears throat> it was not the Analog Man Big T. It was... Um I, th I think it was a Lawler pickup, and I can't remember the name of it. And it's not that it's a better pickup or that it's supposed to sound better. I mean, better is a is a pretty um, subjective word. You know, one person might think it sounds better, but but uh, it's it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a better sounding pickup. It's just different. So traditionally, a Tele neck pickup is kind of bassy. Um, it's kind of uh, uh, a fat, bassy sounding single coil pickup, and and mostly the problem is that the cover that goes over most tele pickups, or at least all the vintage ones that I know of, that cover is made out of brass, and the brass has a tendency to really filter out high end pretty well. So you end up with a more bassy sound, even the, you know just because it's in the neck position, it's a bassier pickup, but you put that cover on it and it really cuts out the high end. So there was a pickup that Lawler did, I think it was called the Royal T. And uh, what he had done is he had routed out a channel so that in the cover so that the pole pieces were exposed and it made it sound more like a more like a Strat pickup in the neck position, which is kind of cool. Um, 
At least I like that. The other way around it is if you use a uh, an unplated nickel cover, the nickel doesn't seem to filter out nearly as much high-end as brass does. And that's what I do on my pickups that I make, on the guitars that I make. Um, I use the nickel unplated covers because they sound way more transparent and uh, the brass ones just are too bassy. So I think that's what you're talking about. And as far as humbuckers and tellies go, uh, I personally, I'm not a fan. But again, that's just that's just taste, right? That's pretty subjective. Telecaster Bridge pick up staggered pole pieces. I get it on a seven and a quarter radius neck. Your opinion about nine and a half radius necks and the flat pole pieces? Okay. Um, yeah, so staggered pole pieces on vintage radius necks makes sense to me. Once you start getting a flatter radius, you know, you could go either way. And again, it's subjective. Personally, I do like the, um, the staggered pole pieces, even for a nine and a half or a 10 inch radius. Once you get to like a 12 inch radius, like a Gibson style radius, then you're getting to the point where a Probably a flat pole pickup is is best, but, um, you know, you ask different guys and they'll give you different answers, so, again, that's a little subjective, but that's how I feel about it, and I certainly do like the staggered pole piece uh, thing uh, for tellies on bridge pickups, because otherwise, to me, the D string is too quiet. Yeah. Third question is, hex core strings... After your piece on hex core strings, I went to check all of my string stock to make sure I didn't have any round core strings, but there is little information on most of the packaging. I looked on the internet, and it would appear that you would really have to go out of your way to get round cores. Am I correct? Is hex core the standard these days from most reputable manufacturers? Um, Yeah, hex core is the standard, but you don't have to go that far out of your way to get round core. Um... What he's referring to is a, uh, I think a while back I was talking about how round core strings, you should probably stay away from them because they have intonation problems and inconsistencies and, um, I don't know, I hate, I hate to mention brands, but, uh, well, the, the, the brand that I was thinking of, let's just say that their initials are DR. (laughs) So... Um, these have, the DR strings, they have a lot of round core options, and I think one is the, um, oh, they're called blues, or pure blues, or something like that, but I, I just, uh, anybody, anytime anybody wants DR strings on their guitars, I try to talk them out of it. I, I'm a big fan of Diodario strings. They're consistent, they're good, they sound great, they feel great. Um, Ernie Balls are good, too. You know, most of the, most of the uh, name brand strings. I know Gibson is sells a popular. They've they're popular. Their strings are popular, but um, round core strings stay away from them. A lot of the boutique. I have customers that will bring me this boutique pack of strings that they special ordered from Dusseldorf, Germany. That you know, that it's a, some special some guy in his basement is making these strings or something, and they're always round core and they always suck. They're always awful. Like this $30 set of strings, just don't do that. Just just stick with good old-fashioned, you know, name brand, Diodario 
is my recommendation, but like I say, I hate to mention brands. I don't know. That's just my experience, but don't take my word for it. If you want an eye-opener, do an internet search on DR strings and intonation problems, and uh, uh, you'll be surprised at what you find. Last question from Zach. I recently picked up a guitar with P90s, and it has 500k pots for volume and 250k pots for tone. I always have my tone knob at 10. All guitars sound a little different, but this one sounds a little brittle. Could that be a factor, or will a 250k pot make a difference in the tone position? Does Gibson not always use 500k pots for volume and tone with P90s? Thoughts, please. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I thought that Gibson pretty much always used 500k pots, but they, you know, you find weird things. I'm sure that there's, off the top of my head, I can't remember. I don't, I don't know if there's any guitars where they use 250k pots instead of 500s for tones, but, um, it might make a difference for you. It might, it might make it sound a little bit different and, um, an easy way to tell would be, um, just to, Take a soldering iron and remove the little wire and that goes to your tone pot and see if you hear a difference. Um, I don't know if you will or not. I don't know. It, it, the um, the standard uh, theory is that the higher the value on a pot, the more open and the, the more uh, high-end you're going to hear uh, through your guitar. So... Like a a 500k pot or a one meg pot is less resistance in the signal, so you end up with more high end. Because what happens is uh, in those resistors is that for some reason, and I'm sure an audio engineer could explain this, but I can't. But the high end goes to ground first, so. You lose more high end as you um, use a, uh, a, a different value capacitor. So the 250k pots tend to sound darker. The 500k pots are brighter, and so on and so forth. One meg is even brighter. So I don't know. It's more of a volume pot thing, but there, yeah, it will make a difference in your tone pots, and it will make a difference. Um, there's a lot of things that would make a difference, but it, it you could experiment with it and, and see what happens. Very nice. All right, this last question comes from Ray. He says, Hi, Eric. Love the podcast. If you get a chance, please discuss standard three saddle Telecaster bridges and compensated three saddle Telecaster bridges. Do you think that the compensated saddles are a worthy upgrade? Thanks, Ray. Uh, I'm sorry, did he say six saddle, or th- he's saying... Th- three saddle. Versus three saddle compensated? hmm Ray, good question, Ray. Um, I love three saddle, uh, uh, style telebridges, so, um, it's something I could talk about for a long time, but, uh, I'll try to make it brief and clear. Um, really, my favorite probably is the uncompensated... And I just deal with the fact that the intonation is off a little bit, probably partially because I think they look better. I know that that's a silly thing, but you know, it's just when I look at a when I look at a telly bridge and the saddles are all skiwampus, it just I don't know. It does something to my brain that I don't like. I like them 
to look like they did in 1952. Um, that being said, the compensated ones are really nice. I mean, it'll get you there. It'll get you farther uh, as far as intonation goes. And there are different kinds of intonated three-saddle tele bridges. Uh, one kind is where, rather than the saddle being perfectly straight, it's offset. So the hole is actually drilled, you know, crooked. So the saddle sits crooked um, so that the strings hit the saddles at different points. Uh, the other way that they compensate tele saddles is they actually machine them. And so the saddle sits straight, but it is, it's been machined so that a little bit of, of brass has been taken off on one end and then a little bit on the other end so that the strings hit the saddles at an offset point, not at the same point. So, and those I think tend to look a little bit better than the ones that sit sideways. But for me, I'm and I've experimented with all of them because uh, I make guitars and they're basically Tele style guitars. Uh, have I ever told you about? Th- I don't even know if I've ever even talked about it on the podcast. But they're called pinup custom guitars. And if you wanted to see um, what I do, you could go to pinupcustomguitars.com, check out my guitars there. And, uh, yeah, I I experimented with the intonated ones for a while. I used them for a while. Lately, I've just been doing the standard ones that look straight, that look the non-intonated ones, just because I like the way they look. And uh, the intonation problem is, I don't know, it's, I don't know, I, I put up with it uh, because I like the saddles enough, so. Was that all? Is that all the questions? That's all the questions. Sweet! Man, those were good questions. Keep them coming in. If you would like to participate in the podcast, and I, I really would love it if you would participate in the podcast, you can go to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com, Click the contact link, and then you can send me an email there. And the other way is to you can actually call the show and, and leave me a message. I've got a permanent voicemail set up where you can just call anytime, night or day, and I won't answer it. I won't even hear it ring. It's just going to, you know, some computer somewhere in God knows where is going to answer it, and then you leave a message. And that number is 757 757- Seven seven four eight four eight two, and uh, you can leave a message there, and uh, I will answer your question as part of the show. Again, that's seven five seven 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 four eight four eight two, and you should. So uh, we'll take a little break, and we will come right back. podcast is sponsored by Emerald City Guitars. Emerald City Guitars is the Northwest's premier vintage guitar store. In fact, it's uh, one of the world's most well-known guitar stores. We specialize in vintage gear. I say we because, hey, I work there. I'm the repair specialist. I've been there for uh, 13 years now, and uh, I do all the all the customer uh, repairs and all of the... Um, 
a lot of the restorations that happen on a lot of the gear that's that's uh, for sale there. You should check out Emerald City Guitars' website if you haven't. EmeraldCityGuitars.com. You will be astounded at the inventory. It is, it's really amazing, and I'm I'm blessed to work there. It's an awesome store. Uh, you should check it out. So, Emerald City Guitars, check it out. the show. Joining me today on the phone is Michael Swizzler. Hi, Eric. Hi, Michael. How you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. Great, man. I uh, really appreciate you joining me on the show today, and uh, this is going to be interesting, I think. (laughs) So let's bring everybody up to speed on why you're here. Um, If you listened to the last episode, which, uh, gosh, I think it's been since October. October or something. Uh, But if you listen to the last episode, I was talking about a little box that I made that I call the lie detector. And the lie detector contains five different tone capacitors hooked up to a rotary switch and a single tone knob. And, you know, there is uh, all kinds of hype about tone caps and what sounds best and there's expensive ones, there's cheap ones and um, I got tired of guessing, right? I mean, I had my opinions, but I really wanted to build a box where I could hear the difference instantaneously, rather than uh, you know, if you take a capacitor out of a guitar and then replace it you know, it takes enough time that you really can't just quickly A-B the tone, so I wanted to make a box where you could quickly hear the difference and so I did, and uh, I did not hear any difference in between the five different caps that I put in here. And, and you heard the show, right? Yep. And yep. Uh, you sent me an email basically saying what? Well, I, so I was listening to the show, I was listening to the podcast, and you, you were talking right then about the caps and, and you know, that, that you couldn't hear a difference between the capacitors. And, and you know, I have my opinion on the way uh, electronics I guess my opinion is that electronics work the way electronics work. Um, but at the moment that I was listening to that, I was actually at work um, working with this expensive audio analyzer that we have here, and a little light bulb went off. And I thought, you know, I'm going to contact Eric, and I know he doesn't know me from Adam, but see if he'll send me his little lie detector box and, and see if I can um, detect some lies within the box, you know, yeah. more or less, and and just kind of do a comparison and and, and really just step back from it. I, I know nothing about how the box is constructed. I don't know which caps are. I still am not entirely sure I know what cap is what uh, yeah. within the box um, and just sort of objectively look at it and, and take some measurements from it. Now, I can't measure Mojo. Yeah, good. You know, that, that's not, that's not you, you have to spend extra money to measure Mojo, I guess, with the box. So I can't do that, but I can measure um, the frequency response at, you know, at a given Given frequency, given uh, level, uh, you know, it's, it's an audio precision. It's the industry standard for measuring audio. Wow. Yeah. And um, I thought, you know, I'd give it a shot. So I'll show you off an email to see if uh, you'd loan me the box for a little while and I can run through it. And, and I did. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you that you reached out to me because I sent you the box and you ran uh, some pretty extensive tests on 
the differences between the five caps that I that I put in here. And um, yep. tell me about the tell me about this audio testing equipment. I I don't know anything about it. it does it have a brand name? It, it's it's called Audio Precision. Okay. And um, the, they're kind of horrendously expensive for what they are. But, you know, what we do here is I test media players, and, and it's kind of a standard way that you test for uh, frequency response, um, you know, making sure the levels are all good, you know, uh, getting, you know, really detailed frequency response reports. Um about the media players, or you, you know, you, you can test amplifiers with them. You run through the amplifier. You can actually measure, do speaker measurements with the box. Um, and yeah. what we do here is it's it's media players hmm. that that I work on. And so, uh, you know, they, I mean, these things, you know, their signal noise, their their self noise level is like minus 108 dB uh, <laughs> on the box. So it's it's really a precision piece of equipment. Yeah. And so frequency response is exactly what people, I assume, that's exactly what people say they're talking about when they're talking about differences in, uh, not only in capacitors, but in different pickups and different um, guitars and different amps, I assume. I mean, frequency response is what it's all about, right? Right. I mean, ultimately, that's what you're talking about, you know, I mean, is, you know, the, the, the curve, the response curve over the the frequency range of the device yeah and this machine that um this uh uh audio testing gear that you've got is what a thousand times more accurate than the human ear or more than that more than that i mean you know what what it, what it generally i guess people say you know 3 db is about the difference where, where you can start to hear a difference in level yeah and you know i mean if you want me to start talking about the the results we got here i can i can tell you what the the difference in levels were with some of the results that I saw on the caps. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, so there were five different caps, and what did you see? What kind of test did you run, and what did you see? Well, so my understanding of your box, I just want to, I want to clarify this, is that there are actually six capacitors in the box. Yeah, that's that true. Correct? Yeah, and, that's and true. two of them are the same. Right. There's, a, uh, there's, an okay. a, there's an A-B switch, and the reason that I put that in there is because I was um, <clears throat> I was having people use the box and test it, and I didn't have any kind of a control. Right. So I added the A B switch so that I had a control. I would people I would have people plug in, run through the five settings on A, and then run through the five settings on B. Now what they didn't know was that on B, there's only one capacitor, so all five settings are the same. Oh, I get it. Yeah. So okay. if so if people on setting A, people could say, "Oh, I heard a difference." And how do you prove them wrong? Well, if they heard it, if they heard a difference on setting B, then you know that it's a placebo because uh, there is no difference. So that's the reason right. I. That's the, really the only reason I put that uh, sixth capacitor in there, and the the extra capacitor that I put in there is um, a duplicate of the cheapest cap that's on the switch. Okay. Well, looking at my results. Um, there was actually less difference than I anticipated, and I honestly didn't even anticipate very much difference. Yeah, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, electrons are electrons, and you know, right. given you know a capacitor that's of the same value, um, they you know they should behave the same. Right. You know, but you know, outside of you know vintage one changes its properties over time. I suppose I don't know. 
Yeah, and um, and that's the reason. Uh, to, sorry to interrupt you. That's the reason why no. I I didn't use any vintage caps in my box. Um, and initially, I think I did, but I sw- I switched it out. So they're all brand new caps, but they range in price from five cents to thirty bucks. Wow. Uh, but I wanted to use all new caps so that I knew that they hadn't drifted over the last 50 years. Right. You know, the tolerances obviously will change over time. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, you know, a five-cent cap, you know, if it does indeed have the same tolerance that, it, you know, that it's rated at, um, then, I mean, they, it should behave the same as, as a more expensive cap. And, honestly, looking at the results I have here, they're remarkably close. Like I said, even closer than I would have thought. You know, mm-hmm. just... I'm picking out. So what I did uh, to test this, I'll say, is I ran each of the capacitors. Um, I ran all of the capacitors at each of the tone knob settings. Okay, so you have a little tone knob on there. Yeah. So, you know, I honestly don't even know what the box sounds like. I never plugged the guitar through it. I just <laughs> this was all me looking at numbers. Right. And so I, I, I plugged it in, and I ran you know from capacitor one through capacitor six. Uh, at, you know, with the tone knob set at zero. Then I did the same thing with the tone knob set at one, the same thing with the tone knob set at two, and all the way up to ten or yeah. nine, wherever it landed. Yeah, it's one, one, um, one to ten. It's just a Strat tone knob, if you can, for the listeners yeah. to envision that. It's just a Strat tone knob, uh, one through ten. And uh, so you manually dialed the knob between all ten numbers and did, ran a test at each number? Right, and so I ran each of the capacitors <laughs> I would turn the knob, and then I would go and, and run a, a frequency response test on each of the capacitors while the knob was set there. So it had as little interaction with the box in between each of the, the tests at that setting. So I didn't want to, you know, knock it a little bit or, or try and run, you know, try and, you know, get it back to setting three and test that right. capacitor and then go to setting four. You know, I did it the other way around. So it's pretty well c- controlled. Yeah. And, you know, just picking out, you know, one of my results here with the tone knob set at five, um, looking at it at about, you know, in the 200 to 300 hertz range, the difference between, the, the greatest difference between any of the two capacitors is about five ten thousandths of a dB. Wow. You know, and, and that's at, with a one volt output, I mean, I could, you know, if anybody out there wants me to run this test again, we can. I can certainly set it up with a different bolt. If I picked one bolt just because it's there, I had to pick yeah. one and go, and that seemed about right. You know, I, I don't imagine the variances are going to be very much different that at any other level. Wow. Now, and know, now, now, say what the difference was again. There's about five ten thousandths oh, of wow. a decibel. Yeah. Difference between and between. That's the greatest spread between any of the two capacitors, wow. any, any of the six capacitors, sorry. Can you tell me which capacitors they were off the top of your head? Do you have that information? So that was, I don't know which capacitors they were. I can tell you which numbers they yeah. were in my, That's, in my test. Oh, okay. Right. And that would have been the fourth, and it looks like, and I, I think I asked you this in an email earlier, um, the second capacitor and then the B control pa- capacitor, if I'm not mistaken, those are the same because they're the same. their yeah. curves look pretty much the same. Yeah. So that'd be the difference between the fourth capacitor on the switch yeah. and effectively the, the control capacitor. Yeah. 
Wow. Which which is also the same as the second one. So I don't know. Again, I don't even know which caps those are. Yeah, and I'll tell you so, here you in, know, in a minute. Um, first, I want to ask you this though. If uh, now that's the biggest difference you saw, what kind of an what kind of a difference um really is that? I mean, is that something that is so beyond the edge of human hearing that no superhuman being could even possibly remotely hear that? Is that right? I I can't imagine. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a hearing specialist, but man, you know, going by, you know, what I do know about audio and what I do know about human hearing, there's no way. I I, really, it's, (laughs) I mean, you're in the 10,000th of a decibel. Right. Where You you, 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 you'd be hard pressed to be able to find any piece of equipment that you could adjust a 10,000th of a decibel. Right, right. And you basically would have to have a machine like what you've got there to even notice the difference, right? Right, exactly. Wow, that's amazing. So fundamentally, there is no difference in the audio quality of the frequency response between cheap and expensive caps as far as you're concerned, right? Not that I've seen. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I'm you know looking at them, at all the various frequencies, uh, and, you know between all the caps, it's it's pretty consistent. Yeah. Now there there is a difference between them, but I will say this: I reran the test five times on one of the caps. I can't. I think it was cap five, and I, I just picked that one out, and I reran all of the tests on that, and the variance of the same tests on the same capacitor five times was almost half as much as the variance between any of the other two caps. Well, so so the the difference that that machine is hearing um, probably comes down more to um, the difference in the caps as far as the capacitance goes, uh, the tolerance of the of the actual value of the right. You're, cap. you're you're definitely down within the tolerance yeah. of the capacitors. The difference yeah. between these capacitors is certainly within the tolerance. So if you had five of the same model capacitor, I would imagine that these curves would all look about the same. And these are all, I think they're all 10%. There might be, a couple of them might be 5% capacitors. I think they're all 10%. So I'm surprised that the tolerances were that tight. Yeah, like I said, I mean, looking at it, you know, there was there was a lot less variance between the capacitors than I anticipated. And I didn't anticipate much to begin wow. with. Well, I'll tell you what the capacitors were that you ran the tests on here, uh, if you're curious. So capacitor number one, that's just setting number one on the box, is a Tone Factory Vitamin Q paper in oil cap, sells for about 30 bucks. Number two was a cheap Chinese, the cheapest I could find, uh, ceramic cap, and it sells for uh, just a couple pennies, you know. Number three was a Mallory 150 series metalized polyester cap. They sell for about 75 cents a piece. Number four was an orange drop, uh, a 716 series orange drop uh, polypropylene cap. Those sell for a buck or two. And number five was a Taihan Black Bee paper in oil capacitor. Those sell for about eight bucks. So a lot of different caps. Um... They're all 0.022 microfarad, and uh, I think, yeah, I think they're all uh, 10% caps. And so, uh, and then the on the switch, between A and B, the B switch, the setting was just a duplicate of the cheap Chinese 
ceramic cap. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I can. Here's one thing I can tell you. Then coming out of that and knowing that and looking at some of these uh, images that I have out of here, of the frequency response of them, the cheap Chinese cap that is on B and in switch switch two, mm-hmm. uh, those the the frequency response of those is. You know, I can tell that those are the same cap. Looking at them, because yeah. they they their response is almost identical. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of them are almost identical. I'm down looking in the really really tiny levels here. And what else I can tell you is then what was what was it the Mallory and yeah what was cap one three was the Mallory and one was a Tone Factory Vitamin Q paper in oil cap. Yeah, so uh, the Mallory and the Tone Factory are almost as identical to one another as the two cheap Chinese ones are to one another. Wow. And those are different so, those are completely different compositions. One one is a paper in oil cap and one was a polyester metallized polyester cap. And those are, you know, people who claim they can hear a difference really claim that the paper in oil cap sound better. Okay. Now, I don't, I don't think they're hearing anything. I think that what we're seeing is a placebo effect, and I think that, I mean, it's scientifically, uh, it's, it's a fact that placebos absolutely work, and I think that's, oh, totally. a, that's all we're seeing here. It's, it's a placebo effect. Yeah. You know, like I said, I mean, you call it a placebo, you call you know, maybe you call it mojo. You yeah, know, it's, you, right? you know it's in there. Yeah. You know, you've got your uh, oil and paper cap in there, and, and you spent $30 on that one capacitor, and, and that makes you hear a difference. I don't know. Well, to but me, I can tell you that looking at the frequency response of a seventy-five cent Mallory and, and that thirty-dollar uh, oil and paper cap, they look really similar. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know, I can tell you that um, I I didn't hear a difference in this box, and I didn't think that your machine would either. You know, so I think I really think this is pretty definitive. But saying that, even saying that, and even if you could show people the graphs that I mean, you emailed me these. Amazing. Oh, I emailed you a ton. Sorry for the mailbox. No, it was cool. I emailed you a ton of data. It was cool to see, but I think that even the most convinced uh, person that that thinks that there's a difference in these capacitors, I don't think that anything that we did that we could show them would change their mind because uh, they're they're they've bought into it. They've bought into the hype, and they don't they really don't want to come back from the edge of the hype. Yeah. I agree. You know, I, I, I'm more than willing, you know, I've still got this data. Anybody that wants to see it, I, I'm more than willing to provide it to them. You know, I've, I've drawn my own conclusion from it. I, I don't expect to change the world with it. But if anybody wants to take a look at it, they can, you know, contact me. You've, you've, you know, I guess somehow we can be in contact through your uh, uh, site or something. Yeah. Well, um, I'll, I'll try to put up some of these or, charts maybe on, on the Fret Files Facebook page so people can see what we're talking go. about here. And um, people might find it in- interesting. Uh, you know, so really it, it leads to the question, does it matter? You know, if I'm making a guitar and I just want to put a capacitor in there, does it matter if I use a $0.05 cent one or a $30 one? Well, I guess in audio difference it, it doesn't matter. But what does right. matter, what does matter to me is quality. So I don't see the reason uh, if if a decent cap only costs seventy five cents. I don't see the reason to use a, a five cent capacitor um, if I'm only going to be spending seventy more cents on a you know in, in the overall price of the guitar. It's nothing. So I'm, you might as well use a good quality capacitor. But if you're spending more than a 
a couple bucks at the most on a capacitor, you're just getting ripped off. Right. That's my opinion. And you, know, and you bring up a good point. I mean, there's nothing to say that, you know, a cheaper capacitor won't fail sooner. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, you know, go, going with quality, especially when you're doing a custom build, you, you want to do that. But when quality only costs you, you know, 70 cents more, there's no reason not to. Yeah. And there, I think... You know, it's unlikely for a cap to fail in a guitar because they're just not under really sure. in, any voltage at all. Uh, but right. maybe in an amp, you know, it's a different story. And uh, I'm not an amp tech, so I don't even want to get into what's going on in amps and if it matters in amps because that's just not my field of expertise. But um, as far as guitar circuits go, use a decent cap, but don't spend more than a couple bucks. That's what I say. Unless, and here's the only caveat, if you're restoring a vintage guitar... And it uh, takes a certain capacitor, and that capacitor is missing. You can buy old capacitors. People sell them all the time on eBay and on on different websites. Um, but they're expensive, so you might spend fifty bucks for a a cap, f- you know, for your Stratocaster from the fifties. Uh, maybe a hundred bucks. I don't even know. But um, at that point. It's worth it because, but that's a different story. It's not that you're going to hear a difference. It's that you're restoring it to its original specs. And I think that's where this whole hype about capacitors took off is that people were seeing that vintage caps were selling for 50 or 100 bucks, and they decided, oh, those caps must sound better because obviously right. they must because they, they cost 50 times what a normal cap cost. There has to be 50 times the audio difference, and there's just not. Yeah, uh, you know. From anything I've heard or seen, you're right. Yeah. Well, cool. I really appreciate you taking the time and basically just volunteering your time to to make the tests on on the uh, on the box because it's something that I you know never would have had the um, uh, opportunity to do, and because of what you do, it really helped out. So, and you know, I I kind of wanted to get into that. What is it exactly that you do? You're you're testing media players. Uh, yeah, I work for a company called BrightSign, and we make um, digital sign controllers. Uh, it's a, a solid-state, you know, audio and video and interactive uh, media player. Huh. And one of the one of the gigs that I do here as GA manager is to test the audio functionality. Huh. We we sell our boxes to some companies that do some pretty um, relatively high-end uh, consumer audio stuff. So we have to meet particular standards with our audio. Wow. Well, now say the name of the company again. It's Bright Sign? Bright Sign, yeah. We're cool. out of Los Gatos, California. Wow, cool, man. And yeah, it's cool. And, you know, thank you for sending the box down to me. You know, I, I, I know I kind of contacted you out of the blue, but I was like, oh, yeah, I could I could have fun with this. It's something that I thought about before, you know, because, you know, you, you hear this, these tales of, of the magical caps. And, right. You know. It was it was a great opportunity for me to to really dig in and and take a look for myself and it you know I, it, it confirmed the way I felt there was no no great surprise there other than you know it was they were even less different than I thought yeah that's it's amazing that's cool well Michael again I really appreciate you doing it appreciate you taking the time to to do an interview and uh, hey man I appreciate you doing this podcast it's great thanks really enjoy it thanks and I'm I'm. I took a few months off there. Life kind of kicked me in the teeth, but I'm I'm getting back into it now. So I'm glad to hear it. Thanks for being a listener, man. Take care. Okay, thanks, man. Take care. Take care. Well, that wraps it up for this edition of the Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast. 
And uh, again, I would really encourage you to participate. It's easy to do. Just send me a question. Go to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link, and then you can send me an email there. Uh, Send in your question or comment, and I will use it as part of the show. And uh, the other way to do it is if you want to leave me a message, you can do that by calling 757-774-8482. That's 757-774-8482, and I will use that as part of the show. Thank you to the Fretboard Journal. Thanks to Michael Van Dieven over at ufoship.com and his fine network of podcasts over there. You should check that out if you haven't already. And uh, thanks to my lovely wife, Melissa, for helping me with this podcast and reading the questions and uh, really, you know, just for encouraging me to do it. She's been uh, uh, one of the biggest encouragements has come from her, which is just super cool. You know, I I, I think that a lot of uh, wives would be saying, ah, don't do that podcast. (laughs) You're too busy as it is. But uh, she is not like that. So you have her partially to thank if you enjoy this podcast for her encouragement. So, uh, And uh, yeah, that wraps it up. I will talk to you next month. Thank you. <laughs>